But yeah, we're just so grateful to be with you. My name is Greg Peterson. I'm executive pastor here, and I also want to welcome those that are listening online. Maybe you listen to the podcast later as well. But we're glad to have you here and glad to be able to celebrate Father's Day with you here today. And, you know, we get a glimpse of who God is through the people around us. Uh, whether it be our mothers or, you know, especially our parents, but especially even our fathers, too. We, a lot of times, you know, our, our kids get, or we even see God the way that we were treated. We, we see Him, you know, the way that we were showing love to our Father influences the way that we see God the Father around us. And that's a, a sobering uh, reality for us, uh, those of us that are fathers and know that we're imperfect uh, but yeah, we do shape those around us, and we see God, we experience God, oftentimes through the people that are around us and leading us and guiding us. And there are times where um, I have to admit, I, I have not been a perfect father, and Lauren could probably testify, but and there are times that I've done things well that I wasn't even intentionally doing. <laughs> like, it just happened out that it worked out to be a good thing. And, and one of the things that, that, that I did well uh, in teaching my kids and showing my kids about trusting God is a little thing that we called the running hug when they were really small. And, and just for this, for those in the youth group especially. Oh, oh yeah. Take a moment to soak that in. But yes, um, I did get permission. But yeah, um, this was when the kids were like, you know, toddler age, like, you know, before school and elementary school. And you know how in the evenings you have the bedtime routine, right? Which like takes like forever because it's, I want to read a book. I want to do this. I want to do that, you know, and develops this whole routine that they have to do to get them to bed. And part of what the routine was, was that developed for us was this running hug. And we lived in a rancher. And so in a rancher, you have that long hallway down the middle because it's practical and then all the bedrooms are off to the side of it. So I would stand back at the, along the wall where the bedrooms were, and they would stand out where the kitchen was, which felt like five miles away when you're a small child. It was like 30 feet. But, you know, they were on the other side, and they would run towards me, and I would catch them and hug them, and then they would go to bed. And this became this running hug. Then the other one would run. And so over time, what happened is they figured out that Dad always catches me. So because dad always catches me, I can run a little faster. And I can run faster. Not only that, I can, near the end, I can actually dive because dad always catches me. And it got to the point where they're in their little onesies, you know, on the hardwood floor. So the traction's, you know, optional. Um, but they are, you know, head down, running as fast as they can, and then just leaping into my arms. And it got to the point I'd have to step away from the wall, kind of catch them and swing them, especially as they got older. And eventually we had to stop this. Like two years ago, we stopped doing this. <laughs> But at some point, yeah, it just got, this is like, this is getting dangerous here. And I have to admit, guys, I am human, I am imperfect. There, there was times, and maybe just only one time, where I thought of like, what would happen if I would just... Like, they're in. Like, they're 100% in a full dive. Like, what, what would happen? I know what would happen. You know, they would dive literally face first into a wall. Fortunately, I never did that. Don't call a child. You know, yeah, I, I did not do that. But the thought did go through my mind. And as I've grown older, I've realized that this is how my faith works with God. That those little things that I trust him in and he's faithful in that I can look back, I see him catching me. 
And the more I see him catching me, the next time a trial comes up or hard time comes up or situation comes up, it gives me some assurance to know that last time he caught me, last time he was there, and and I can begin to run into my father's arms as well because I can trust him because he hasn't left me run into the wall. But what do you do? What do you do when you face those times where it feels like God has stepped aside, where it feels like you're headed down life and you're headed to something and God has stepped aside. What do we do in those situations? How do we persevere in our faith when we feel like we're facing a a headfirst dive into a wall in our lives and we're not sure that God is there or if God can stop us? What do we do with our reality of our life when the situations around us don't match what we believe the Bible says about who God is, about how he's a loving father, or how we should act as Christians? And what, what do we do when life doesn't seem, and reality doesn't seem to align with the Bible? What do we do in those situations? How do we persevere in our faith? Well, this morning, you're in luck because we are on a series called Perseverance. And it just happened to be like that. Like, wow, look at that. So, yeah, so we're in this three, uh, part three of a four-part series. Um, so we have one more next week yet that Tim and I are co-leading this. And it's a conversational series. And by what, what that means, if you weren't here the first two weeks, is we have people come up and share their testimony of how they have persevered through something. And I know we don't have time to get into like all their stories kind of thing. And I wish if you follow up with people, it'd be great. Like call them and say, I'd love to know more about your story. You know, can we grab lunch sometime? Because these people have walked through things that, that gives us a lot of uh, courage and wisdom and, and things that when you understand what they went through, you're like, how are you even like functioning as a human being? Like, let alone even thriving in life. How, how did you overcome this? And I love these stories that we're, we're sharing here this month with you. But we're using these stories, but we're also using uh, James uh, chapter 1 and 1 through 8. And we're using that scripture as our template as we look at this persevering through trials and how to see trials and how to persevere through them and these struggles that faith brings. And James is writing here to an early church. This church is scattered. This church is undergoing persecution. He's writing to this church. And and week one, we talked about James is saying, consider pure joy when you face trials, which feels so weird. Just consider pure joy when you face trials because those trials produce perseverance. And last week, we talked about the idea that perseverance produces maturity in us in the sense that we don't lack anything around us. And we looked at those things. And so both of those Sundays, though, left us with a question. Both of those, I don't know about you, but both of those Sundays left me like, well, but how do you know when to persevere in a situation? And how do you know when it's time and it's a healthy thing to maybe remove yourself from a situation? How do you know, and persevere looks different that way than it does looking staying. And how do, you, how do you know what you should be doing? Like, yes, okay, I want to persevere, but what does perseverance even really look like in my situation that might be different than other situations? And it's cloudy. And how do we, how do we have that wisdom to, to know what to do? And oftentimes we have enough, I don't know about you, but we have enough knowledge 
Like we know if I do this, this is probably what's going to happen. If I do this, this is probably, I mean, we have knowledge, but we need wisdom to know how to apply the knowledge that we have. And how do we get that wisdom to know how to persevere, how far to persevere, how far to push and how far to extend grace? How do we know those, those nuances of life that we go through? How do we have that perseverance? Well, this morning, the, we find James giving us the answer to this as he's writing to the people, uh, the early church. And it, he simply says this, if any of you, and this is in verse 5, James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generous to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There you go, guys. It's simple, right? We should ask God. You're dismissed early. Happy Father's Day. You can go, yeah, right? It's like a Sunday school answer. If you need wisdom, just ask God. Gives generously without finding fault to all. You know, it'll be given to you. Done, right? Yeah. Well, if you've lived and walked in faith, you know that maybe there's, there's something more here. <laughs> maybe there's something more that, that I need them to know. And, and what he's saying here, what I believe he's saying here is, is um, it, you know, you should ask God in, in a sense of God being that source of wisdom for us. And I don't know about you, but I, I know that as I look back in the seasons where I needed wisdom, there's been times that God has used his, used his word to give me clarity in a situation. There are times that he's used people in my life to give me clarity and wisdom in a situation. There's times that he's, he's provided people who have been through a similar experience that I could go through. There are, there are different ways that God can provide wisdom to us, and it's how do we know. And, and sometimes I have the temptation to just do what worked before. Like I'm facing a trial, I went to my mentor, they talked to me, I got wisdom. Next trial that comes, I go, to my mentor, right? Because that's where I got it last time. Or I go to the Word, that's where I got it last time. But I think James is saying here that we need to trust God. We need to go to God and, and not skip that step of like, oh, well, I think I can find it here if I Google it, maybe I'll get the answer. Uh, but if we need to trust God, and, and we see this in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and he will make your path straight. This idea of asking God, acknowledging God, submitting to God is, I think, what James is getting at here and not leaning on other things as our primary way to receive wisdom. Also, I want to notice the, the verb ask God here. The verb ask is this verb that is, it's not a uh, demanding tone. It's not like, God, you need to. It's not that kind of tone. It's not even a transactional verb where asking sometimes be like, I'll give you this, you give me that, and you kind of ask of this kind of thing with conditions. Um, but this, uh, this verb ask is, is basically the, the same verb that's used for a beggar asking for food. I have nothing. I'm a beggar. I have nothing to give back. I have nothing. Please, I need this. And I think James is saying here, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God in that same humble thing. Like, God, I need you. The song we just sung here this morning, God, lead me. Um, and we, uh, James goes on there in the verse, and he says, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I love how he paints a picture of who God the Father is for us here. 
And sometimes our life doesn't match this, but it's a God who is sovereign and he's a God who gives to us. It's not a God who's always sitting back and demanding, well, you need to do this, 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 this. It's a God who gives, not only gives, but gives generously to all without finding fault. How many of you, don't raise your hands, have found yourself in a situation or a trial, that kind of thing, that it was actually, it was your fault (laughs) that you got yourself there? And you don't want to go to God because it's like, God, I know I messed up. I don't deserve a way out of this. I don't deserve your wisdom out of this. But God gives generously to all without finding fault. He's not to say, well, man, you should know better. You know, I think you really know what to do here, so I think you should just, why are you bothering me? I think this is not, James is not painting a picture of God the Father in this way. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I think we see this picture of this good, good father also uh, reflected in, in Jesus' words in Matthew seven eleven. If then, though you are evil or imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is perfect, in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is who our father is. He's a God who wants to give us wisdom in those trials and those, those tough things of life those tough decisions that you have to make that aren't clear-cut, they aren't, okay, this is exactly what you do, you do these things, you'll be fine, you did it last time, or it worked for this person, because there's so many different situations that God gives us the wisdom that we need um, to see things clearly. And we want Him, I believe everyone in this room wants Him to be a good, good Father, right? Perfect in all of His ways. We want to see God as this way, right? But what do we do when our life experiences don't reflect that? Maybe our life experiences with our father or with our uh, man in our lives did not reflect the love that, that God is, our good, good father, perfect in all of our ways. How do we navigate that? How do we persevere in our faith when we don't see the examples around us, but we know that that's the way that God is, but yet we're not seeing it. And how do we have faith when we don't see it around us? Well, this morning, you're lucky because we have someone who has walked that journey in a deep and profound way and is willing to share that journey with us today. So without further ado, I'd like to invite my wife, Tina, uh, to come up here and join me and uh, have our little conversation signs here. We'll move these a little closer. We're, you know, we're married. That's probably good. We have, uh, for those of you that don't know me or us, um, we have just been married for a year. We we reached the year over the year now. Uh, And so, yeah, so we're figuring life out together here. And uh, we're excited about what God has been doing. But the, um, when we first met about two years ago now, uh, we met online on dating, and that's a whole fun story right there. If you want to ever know, like dating as an adult period is really crazy. Um, the first, you, you, it's, 
you know, we, we met online, we chatted for about a month, we texted for about a month, and we decided, hey, let's actually get together. Uh, we made it to that, you know, level. And even, th but there, there's times, honestly, I've been there a couple times, and you have as well, and it's, it's really, as an adult, uh, those moments are really non-romantic. I'll just, okay, maybe not. I, for me, you know, it's, uh, it's, a it's almost a business transaction. Like, it's like, okay, What's, here's everything that's wrong with me. What's everything that's wrong with you? What, why won't this work? And okay, you're still sitting there. Okay, well then maybe this will work. Like, because I don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste my time. We're not, we don't want to just date for a while. Like, no, we're, we want to go towards marriage. And if it's not going to go there, then fine, you know, fine. You're a nice person. See, so you have a good day. So you set up these, these am I right? Or, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you set up these dates so you have an easy out. Like you set it up at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So like by 12, you can be like, hey, coffee was great. It was really nice. You're great, you know, but I got this thing that I got to get to kind of thing. So we, we met at, you know, 11 o'clock on a Saturday. I drove down to, to your place there in Delaware, uh, Wilmington, Delaware there. And um, we, we sat and we, we talked for a little while. And then the, the coffee shop closed at, at, uh, at 3 and then we walked to a restaurant nearby, and then that, that, that closed uh, at nine. Um, we did tip well, the waitress, just to let you, there wasn't a lot of people there. I mean, and we're sitting on like metal chairs. So yeah, our first date was 10 hours long, and it was just a lot of it telling our stories. And I remember two emotions, uh, I mean, there were several emotions, but two specific emotions when I heard her story for the first time. Uh, the first one, honestly, was anger. Um, it was, how can anyone live, be dealt this hand in life? And I didn't feel like I had a good hand either. I'm coming off of a, uh, losing my wife to cancer, so I, I felt I had a pretty good card to play, right, in, in the sympathy world. But I was actually angry at, at the, the life that she had to walk and what transpired in her life to shape her who she is. But the second emotion I had on hearing her story, especially for the first time, was what an awesome person to be now at a place where you don't have bitterness to God, you aren't speaking badly about people that have caused you pain, you've, you've come to have a proper perspective of who God is, in the midst of not seeing it at all in your, in, or not seeing it as well and, and being through some tough things. So I had this, this feeling of like, wow, um, I'm amazed at who you are and how the journey that you've taken. Um, and so this morning, we get to share that a little bit. And so for the next 10 hours, we're going to relive this moment for you. Um, so sit back and enjoy. It's going to be a good time. Um, but no, could you, could you give us a... a just really the parts of your stories that, that specifically, there's a lot of parts, um, but that really kind of gave you a distorted view of who God is, like who, you, you know God to be this, but that life just gave you a distorted about, a view of who God is, who men are. Um, but yeah, could you kind of give us that story of how you got there? Mm -hmm. 
Sure. So I kind of want to start off by saying that um, I did grow up in church. Um, I accepted Jesus at a really young age, at five years old, and I was just fully in love with God. Um, but then life happened um, when I was a young child on a family vacation. I was abused by a stranger. Um, and that's something that I kept very hidden for years. And it wasn't until I went to college and I was assaulted that I actually remembered what happened to me as a child um, so I still for a long time I didn't deal with what happened to me and I got married right out of college I was married for seven years and then my husband came home one day and he said I don't love you and I haven't loved you in five years and he left that night he was gone so at this point I just felt like every man in my life, and then I also, in, when I was in college, my dad, who was very active in church, uh, he was arrested, and he went to prison for just a very short time. So my view of just men in my life was that they abuse you, abandon you, hurt you. Uh, so every man in my life, was gone, like I didn't trust them at all. And those, the messages that that brought with me my whole life, I carried them into my, most of my adulthood, was that I was not lovable, I was not worthy, I was not valued, and I actually translated them to, to God, and I shut God out of my life for, for many, many years as a result of that. Right, yeah, I mean, take us to, uh... I don't want to say the low because there was a there was a, a season there, obviously, of of just yeah men in general disappointing or or not acting the way they should and father and and that and uh, take us to the point. Here you are, you're you're a single mom now. Um, you live in an area that you moved to, so you're away from family and, and your structure. You're you're away from friends, um, and here you are. Here, yeah, at that moment or that season. Um, yeah, where, how'd you feel about God? Were you interested in God? Like, what, like um, yeah, tell, take us to that place. Like, you did a little bit, but yeah, take us to that place there of what you, how you viewed. So I found myself um, in a spot where, right before my husband left me, I was also expecting my second child. So the plan was that, oh, I was going to stay home and be a mother to my two children. I do have a, a, another son. And then when my husband left me, my whole life changed. And now here I was trying to work and support myself, and I couldn't. So I'm working two jobs just to support myself. Uh, I didn't trust men. I was still uh, just having issues with relationships. I was not choosing good relationships, making really, really poor choices. And I didn't have a good support system. Uh, I stepped out of church for quite a while, uh, for years, because I didn't even trust God. I, I felt like I wasn't accepted in church just because, for one of the reasons, because I was divorced. And I felt like most of the churches that I went to, that they would just turn me away and they just weren't accepting because I was divorced. So I had a really hard time just plugging in. And as a result of the abuse and the assault, and some of the assault occurred even by people in leadership positions, I just carried that over to God. And I was like, if this is the way it is, then I don't trust God. 
um, I am going to do it my way, um, and I'm going to do it without him. And I did live my life that, that way, um, just believing all of those lies that the, the world told me who I was, that again, I was not lovable, I was not valuable. I lived and I believed them for a really, really long time. Yeah, I think I was surprised when you had, you had brought up the idea of being, felt, feeling shame, feeling guilt, like this is my, I did this, you know, maybe, yeah, I, you know, my sister didn't go off with a stranger when we were kids, and I chose to go off with, you know, to help him find someone, you know, so that, you know, that shame and guilt of even though it was, you were a victim, you felt the shame and guilt and unworthiness of that. Um, so, yeah, here you are, you know, you, you, um, you're left single mom with one child. Uh, you had a miscarriage. That's that. Yeah, you didn't. I don't think you've verbalized that. So yeah. So you have. You're here. Yeah. Your trajectory is. You know, brought up in church. Good family. Good strong family. You know, go to Christian school. Go to Christian college. You know, get a. You know, get married out of college. You know, you have your one kid. Now you have your two kids. I mean, American dream, really. Here. I mean, everything is great. And in a couple of years, a, a dramatic turn. Um, so how in the world did you go from there to when I met you, to the place of when I met you, um, who, was, who I saw and see now a person who has a strong faith in God, who has a proper perspective of who God, God is, um, and even a proper perspective of, of men. I mean, that's, that's a tough, yeah. How did you get from there it was definitely a journey. Um, it was a long process. I would love to tell you that it happened overnight, um, and all of a sudden my life was changed, and um, I was following Jesus wholeheartedly, but it was definitely a journey because I was still dealing with a lot of trust issues, um, and it was almost 20 years before I really finally surrendered everything to him. And that last little piece that God was asking me to surrender to him, it was the hardest part for me to give to him. And that was my identity. Because my whole life, um, after you know what happened to me as a child, was all tied up in who the world told me who I was. And it's who I believed. And it wasn't until finally I gave God my identity that he really um, just started using me, using me. And I saw his um, just power and what he can do through our stories. Um, and I would say some of those things that got me to that surrender um, would have been, one of them is forgiveness. It's forgiving all of those that have hurt me. Um, that was forgiving uh, the people that had abused me, forgiving my ex-husband, um, forgiving my dad for going to prison. Um, and then the hardest person was just forgiving myself. Um, and then uh, just being part of um, a women's group I ha and having a mentor um, that was willing to walk beside me, she was willing to really get in the trenches with me, pray for me, be there for me, love me, not judge me, but speak God's truth into my life and be willing to 
um, correct me when I needed it, but in a loving way. Um, her name is Debbie, and she um, had a Bible study that she invited me to, and it's something, it's, it wasn't just your regular Bible study where you would get together and maybe study a book of the Bible, but it's a Bible study where you really got into the hurts um, of your life and really examined them, and it was a very safe place. Um, and then I would say, um, kind of talking about the key moments, um, that got me to that surrender, and, and even where I am right now, one of them was probably you. Um, oh, we didn't rehearse this part. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and I just say that because um, there was a time, those 20 years, I had made that decision before I fully surrendered my um, identity to Jesus that I would never trust another man. I would never give my heart to another man. Um, and then I remember when I first, um, before I even met Greg and I saw his profile on Facebook, um, it said he was a pastor. And I remember, well, uh, no, so um, just because <laughs> I didn't think that I was good enough, um, but eventually I did like him, and here we are today. Um, but he was the first man that I had ever met that treated me the way that God intended, you know, a woman to be treated. He loved me. He loved my heart, not what he could get from me. But so he really did change my view of how a man should treat you. Um, and it's, you know, when you find somebody who loves Jesus and pursues a relationship with Jesus um, and then in turn uh, pursues you. So... No wonder you wouldn't let me read your notes. Yeah, I see why now. Yeah, no, I, um, it's an amazing journey, and, and I think I think it's important for people to understand. Sometimes you you hear the analogy of like, well, if it takes you a mile to get into the the woods, as far as uh, especially uh, mental health issues, um, you know, it's going to take a mile to get back out. Like, don't expect it to just. You know, we're in America. We expect things to change right now, right? Is there a pill I can take? I mean, is there something that will just change everything? And, and this idea of like. For, for you, and especially in this journey, um, it, it might have been, you know, five miles in, but it was, it was 20 miles, honestly, to get, to get back out, um, to process everything. I know you went to counseling. Um, I know that we've, you know, we even did a, a, a study together because I didn't understand it. And I'm like, I, I don't want to trigger things. I don't want to hurt you in ways I didn't know I was even hurting you. So we went through something together, um, you know, to, to help help me with understand your, your journey and, and that as well. But, and I loved, you know, Debbie, she's probably listening. Hi, Debbie. Um, you know, she was somebody who really just reached out to moms. You know, your sons were in the same grade and, and just had a Bible study. Um, this is something that, that all of us can do. Later on, she became Pastor Debbie. She became a student uh, kids, kids pastor. But it wasn't in that function that she ministered to you. It was just out of loving others around her. And it's something that we all can do. Um, and it is simple little things of pursuing somebody and showing them consistently that God loves them and cares for them. Um, the verse today says about God gives generously without finding fault. And... Can you speak a little bit to how you've found that evident in your life um, mm -hmm. at all? So I do want to say that, you know, there's nothing that you can do or nothing that's been done to you that God can't use or um, that can't keep you from what he has for you. Um, and 
because you know I have been through a lot of mess or whatever you want to call it, um, it is through those times that I have seen God's love. Um, it's overwhelming um, when I think about how much He loves us. And you know, when, during the times when I I chose not to follow Him, you know, while the world sees what you're doing and they see um, they see your sin. Even though God, he does see your sin and there's always consequences from that, but he sees the pain behind it. He sees the why behind it. He sees the root of it. Um, and he still pursues us. He still pursues us with a heavenly love. And he still has good things for you, no matter what has happened or what you have done, like in my life. He still has a plan for you, a plan that is exceedingly more than you can imagine. Um, so, and I've seen that in my life and how he can use what you've gone through, your story, to help other people. Because there are other people sitting in, you know, a congregation in church that have pain, that have uh, stories that people they haven't told anybody. Nobody knows, and and they just, you know, need to know that God still has a plan. He doesn't give up on you, um, and He really can turn uh, everything that has done been done to you around and use it for His glory. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I know part of your healing is, is wanting to tell your story, mm -hmm. you know, and that's awesome. Um, what advice would you give to someone who finds himself in the middle of the storm, you know, who is maybe trying to get their faith back in God, trying to, to get that back, but it's, you know, two steps forward, three steps back, one front, you know, it's, it's, they're in the middle of this journey. What advice would you give to them? I would say hold on to hope believe that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he will do. Hold on to his promises. Somebody years ago, over 15 years ago, spoke over me, prayed over me, that the end would be better than the beginning. And I, it's something I held on to throughout all of the mess, all of those years. It's, it's hard to say, but it's one of those things that kept me from settling. It kept me from... Um, completely walking away from God. Um, and I believe it was a promise from God directly to me, um, just knowing that God can redeem everything and he will fight for you. And mostly believing um, that you are, God, you are who God says you are and not who the world says you are, that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you are set free, and that he is your father. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I, I appreciate that so much. And yeah, like I said, you could easily see how 10 hours can go by. I mean, but we're not going to go there here this morning. But, um, you know, I, we're going to, to close this conversation time with a video from Priscilla Shira that you, you kind of recommended here. And it's, it's basically, you know, when you, when you feel that you can't handle the task at hand, and it's reminding us um, of who God is. And in those seasons that we're in that and just reminding who, are, who we are as his children and who God is. So um, I left my remote down there, so I got to run down there to cue the video. But let's, uh, thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. I'm going to give her a round of applause and thank you for that. All right. Let's watch this video. When you feel like you can't handle the task at hand and you ask yourself, girl, who's your daddy? 
because I remember when Jerry said that to me and I, I got a good look at him, I felt secure, I felt taken care of, not because of me, but because of who I belong to. And what if when you got a good look at your God, remembering who he is and that you belong to him. Listen, I think until the Lord uh, stops me from taking platforms and ministering to women, I will say this until the day that I die, reminding myself as I do when I am quietly alone and I look myself in the mirror and say, girl, who's your daddy? You know what I tell myself? I tell myself, he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, always is, always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised but brought healing. He was pierced but eased pain. He was persecuted but brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He is risen to bring power and he reigns to bring peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him and leaders, they can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Nero couldn't crush him. The new age cannot replace him. in his appointment book. Never. When you fall, he'll lift you up. When you fail, he'll forgive you. When you're weak, he's strong. When you're lost, he's your way. When you're afraid, he's your courage. When you stumble, he will steady you. When you're hurt, he's going to heal you. When he's broken, when you're broken, he will mend you. When you're blind, he will lead you. When you're hungry, he will feed you. When you face trials, he's with you. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he will comfort me. When I face loss, he will provide for me. And when we face death, he will carry us all home to meet him. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is your God, and that, sisters, is who you belong to. That is our God. That is who we belong to. And my encouragement to you, my question to you today is what is that one step that you need to take in faith in order to, to get closer to that full running hug where you're willing to just run and dive into God, what he has for you? What is that thing that keeps tripping you up maybe? That thing, what is that one thing that you can do, that one step that you've, you know that you need to, to persevere in? Wow in order for your faith to continue to grow.